if if we've given our life to the Lord, God is working in our lives, through our lives, long before we're ever even aware of it. He's planning things. He's doing things. Do you think it is by choice that Mike Villa de Salle is back here, the very place that he got saved at? No, it's not by chance. It's in the purposes of God. God has a plan. Uh, Nick just thought when he was watching Talladega Nights that he was getting some entertainment that night. Little did he know that, what's the dude's name in Talladega Nights? Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell probably never called anybody into ministry in his life till that night. But that night God spoke to, he was watching. He'd never even been to Daytona Beach. And God spoke to him. God spoke to him through a movie, a crazy movie at that, and said Daytona Beach. And who would have thought now, how many years later? Seven years later, here he is leading the church. You see, God's at work in our life when we're not aware he's at work in our life. God's already doing things before we're aware that he's even doing things. Uh, before you were saved, God was working to bring to pass things in your life. So when I hear Sandy share that 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I was invited to dedicate the building in Farmville, Virginia, at that church. God was moving at Bethel in Hampton, and I was getting invitations out, and this was one of the invitations that I got. I went to that church. I preached, spoke. Who would have thought? I dedicate the building. Sandy has a prophetic word. That church now... We end up sending Bill and Jenny McIntosh, who were a part of this team, up there. We've been going up there, speaking into the life of that church. They receive us now as part of the fabric of the house. It's a remarkable thing. But we weren't aware that God was doing something bigger those years ago. You know what that says to me? God is at work right now in those little things in your life for a far greater, bigger purpose than we ever dream. That, that if we begin to look through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, that even in the things that we're not seeing right now as being very impactful, that God is planning things that are of a far greater weight of glory down the road if we'll just say yes to him and we'll just walk with him. And that, that is so awesome to me. It's so awesome. It fits right in with really what I want to share today. And, you know, we've been talking these past few weeks about building on an apostolic and prophetic foundation. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul says, consequently, we're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And I, 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 I've made this point about apostolic and prophetic foundations. And I, I want to say this to all of us. Listen, this is not just nice devotional stuff. This is stuff where we're not just trying to occupy time. 
What we're trying to do is to build truth into our lives so that we can impart truth into others' lives, all right? God is about doing more than us just having nice church services. Thank God for nice church services. But God's not interested in us just doing nice church services. Uh, nice church services don't produce anything of any lasting consequence for the kingdom of God. It is truth imparted in the inward uh, parts of a person that brings transformation and brings an understanding of the big things that God wants to do. And then we cooperate with that. Part of that, obviously, is that we want to be strong in the grace of God. Uh, we're in this series on Ephesians. Ephesians, Paul opens up. I don't have time to talk more about this. Today I'll talk more about it probably on Sunday. But Ephesians 2, he says, grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that God has given to us, he's given us grace and he gives us peace. And you will only have peace with God to the degree that you are living and walking in the grace of God. All right? You'll never fully have peace in your heart. You'll always be striving until you come to a place of real security in the grace of God. So we, the grace of God is a foundation stone. It's a part of the foundation of the church. That's why we believe so strongly in teaching people the grace of God. It becomes the very uh, foundation from which we relate to one another. I accept you because God has accepted me. I can love you right where you are because God's loved me right where I'm at. Uh, I can be patient with you. You're not there yet. Guess what? God's patient with me. I'm not there yet. That's grace. And so it manifests, it, it, it impacts the way that we handle the rest of our life. Uh, it, it's not just a good theology. This is good practical living for God, Amen. the grace of God. So the, the, the grace of God is a foundation stone in our walk with God. It's a part of apostolic and prophetic foundation. Secondly, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been to loads of, of Assembly of God churches, churches that say we believe in the outworking of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All that's good. But there's a big difference between having sound theology of the Holy Spirit and having a practice of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Paul said, when I came to you, I did not come with excellency of men's speech. I didn't come just giving you theology. I didn't come just giving you doctrine. But I came in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. In other words, there has to be a tangible outworking, not only of our theology of grace, but also of our theology of the Holy Spirit. There's a tangible outworking. I, I do not impart my theology to you. I impart my lifestyle to you. I impart the way I carry out. And then you ask, why do you do what you do? You see, my, my, my practice springs out of my theology, but my practice is what impacts people's lives. Listen, if I, if I talk all the good theology I want and have a lifestyle that's different, guess what? You're not going to believe anything I say. All right? If I talk about the grace of God and treat you like you're the devil, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to have anything to do with what I believe. So this is why we have Christian families sometimes where the kids go astray 
because there's a difference in what they say and the way they live. You impact people from the way you live, not just from what you say. What you, the way you live brings the credibility to what you say, all right? And so the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. So churches that say that they believe in the power of the Holy Spirit but have no expression, no, no, no outworking of that, I will tell you they don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you this, Christians that say that they love and follow Jesus Christ and they believe Jesus truly is Lord and they have no outworking of it, they don't really believe it. And that's where I want to talk today, and that is this third component uh, uh, or foundation of what it means to build on an apostolic and prophetic foundation. Uh, it means the grace of God. It means the power of the Holy Spirit. But it also means the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And uh, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he makes this statement. And uh, he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, don't you love that? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He goes on down in there, and he uh, makes clear this statement. Therefore, in verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Oh, is that a powerful statement. Oh, is that a powerful Can you imagine if you were there that day and this guy stands up and he's preaching under the inspiration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and he said, let me just tell you all something. Israel, listen to this. God had made this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. No wonder they were cut to the heart. No wonder they, they absolutely were smitten at the core of their being. They were thinking, uh-oh, we messed up, and we messed up in a big way. Uh, but let, let, let me just say this, because I, I believe this with all my heart, that the, one of the most critical messages that we have to declare to the church today, to the world today, is this same message that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed. Be it known unto you that God hath made this Jesus whom you crucified or who was crucified, both Lord and Christ. Listen, we live, first of all, we live in a day and age where many people feel that there are a lot of pathways that lead to God. That there are many paths that lead to God. Well, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. I was talking to a man yesterday. He called me, and uh, he said to me, he said, I, I, I want to tell you something. I, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And so I said to him, I said, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Well, he gave me a bunch of gobbledygook that I, by the time he was over, I, was, I wasn't even sure what he was talking about. And uh, because they have this kind of fuzzy 
thing about what it means to, you know, believe. He says, well, I, I believe there's a higher power. I'm like, great. Great. What does that mean? What does that mean? You believe there's a higher power. What, what, he, what he basically was saying is, you know, I'm going to live any way I want to live. I'm going to live for me. And if I need something, I'll accept there's a higher power. That's a bunch of junk. Let me just call it what it is. That's a bunch of junk. But the fact of the matter is this. We have people in the church that believe that same stupidity. The same stupidity, they believe that. Why do I know that? Because their lifestyle shows that. You see, you don't, you don't uh, uh, believe it if it doesn't manifest in your life. The way you live your life really testifies to what you believe. And when you, well, I believe in some higher power. Well, it's a higher power nonsense. You don't believe in it. You don't believe it at all. Uh, because if you really did believe, if you really did believe it, you would, it would make a difference in your life. And the, the fact is, he believes he is the higher power. That's what he really believes. He really believes he's in charge. And when there are some things he can't figure out, he's asking other people, would you help me? make the difference in my life. Let me tell you something. At the core of the gospel is this one simple truth that mankind is lost. Mankind is dead in their trespasses and sins. Dead. I was listening last night to Terry Virgo, and he was talking about uh, uh, being dead. And I, I loved it as he was preaching out of Ephesians 2. And he was proclaiming this, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And uh, as a British uh, uh, teacher, preacher, he's proclaiming this. And by the time he finished, I mean every Briton there knew they were dead in their trespasses and sins. The fact is this, you were dead. And when you're dead, you can't help yourself. Can I, can I, no dead man can help himself. A, a dead man needs uh, uh, to experience something from the outside. A dead man needs something that will change his deadness. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But the Bible makes it crystal clear that Jesus didn't leave us dead in our trespasses and sins. He paid the price on a cross for your trespasses and sins. And not only did he pay the price, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he raised you from death back to life. And we become new creations today because of what Jesus Christ did. You're no longer the same person you used to be. You're not just a better version of your old self. Come on, I'm about ready to preach here. You're not just a better uh, person. You're not one that just said, well, you know, I've turned over a new leaf. You're not somebody that just, you know, decided I'm going to have a list of, uh, of better behaviors that I'm going to attach to my life. You were dead. You were powerless to do anything. And Jesus came along in your deadness and raised you back to life. Be it known unto you, all staff at one church, that, this God, that God hath made this Jesus whom we uh, crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, at the end of the day, what we proclaim is that the powerlessness, the hopelessness, the despair of the world which we live in, there is only one hope, and that hope is not found in us doing better, working harder. That hope is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Be it known, be it known to the world that God made this Jesus 
both Lord and Christ. Hallelujah. Can we give Jesus praise? Come on. Come on. Listen, we don't proclaim another message. We don't preach another message. Listen, the hopelessness of world of this world, the, the, the addictions of this world, the, the emptiness of this world, the futility of this world is only going to be turned around because men put their hope and their faith and their trust and their confidence in Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not religious activity, not doing good, not any other thing, not even in churchanity. Okay, we got a lot of people. I was talking this morning. Sandy and I were talking about some lovely people that we knew in Virginia, but they—they—I'm not sure they were saved. They went to church. I'm telling you what. There's a danger. There's a danger that we can introduce people to church and not introduce them to Jesus. Church won't change you. Church won't save you. Only Jesus will save you. Only Jesus can change you. You see. That's the gospel that we preach. That's the message that we declare. And so this is foundational. This is, this is everything that we're about. We're not like Jesus as an add-on to all the other stuff that we do. It's not like, okay, we've got 50 things that we do and Jesus is one of them. Jesus is everything. Jesus is the sinner. He's our hope. He's our help. He's who we cry out to. He's who we live for. It's Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You see, this is the gospel. It's not good news if it's dependent upon me. It's only good news when someone greater than me comes along that can help me in my deadness and help me in my bondage and help me in all of the junk that I have to deal with. It's only, only when someone else outside and God sent that someone and there is only one someone and that someone is Jesus Christ, hallelujah. No other name, the Bible says, given among men. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved except the name Jesus Listen, if we're going to build on an apostolic and prophetic foundation, we proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. Everywhere we go to people we share with, we interact with, we proclaim Jesus. That's why Paul says, I, when I came among you, I purposed to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He paid the price. You sense the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes and rides on the truth. And the truth is this, that Jesus is Lord. We don't, he's not Lord because I call him Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord already. And I only can acknowledge him as Lord. Now let me just talk about the practicality of that because Jesus is Lord and this is an apostolic and prophetic foundation that, that Jesus is central. That's why Paul goes on to the, he's, consequently you're no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the what? chief cornerstone the chief cornerstone so everything is built off of him you see when they build a building 
the initial corner that they shoot from. They have a, a baseline measurement, and all elevations are done from that cornerstone, from that corner. And so everything in our life has to be measured from that corner. If Jesus is the chief cornerstone, then I measure my life from that, plant, from that point. So he is the point of reference. So when we talk about Jesus being Lord, it has some practical outworking. I measure my life, first of all, by my obedience to him. Okay? In other words, am I doing every day what would please him? Listen, is my life sold out? Am I sold out to Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you something that's been like a fire burning in me more and more and more. I feel like I'm stepping into a new anointing and a new grace from heaven on my life. Here I had to wait till I was 65 to step into it. But I feel like I'm stepping into a new revelation and a new understanding of who Jesus Christ is. This is why when I was young, he's recklessly abandoned everything you've been taught or trained, fall hard on me, me, Jesus, and my word, and I'll do what you don't have the ability to imagine. Jesus, am I obeying him? Am I doing what he says? That means this, it has a, a very real impact on my time. How, am I, how do I use my time? Am I doing what God wants me to do with my time? I don't just say, okay, I've got so many hours in the week and, you know, I'm going to carve out a little bit for Jesus here and a little bit for me there and a little bit for my kids here and a little bit for my wife. That's not the way it works. Listen, every hour of your life, if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, then every hour of your life ought to be first and foremost committed to doing what he wants. Now, listen, if I do what he wants, I'm going to love this girl. She's my wife. If I do what Jesus wants, I'm going to raise my kids to love and honor him. Amen. If I do what Jesus wants, I'm going to be working hard to carry out and steward the gifts and the calling of God on my life. If I do what Jesus wants, then it's going to impact the way that I handle my money. It's going to impact the way I handle my resources. You see, one of the reasons why I recognize that a lot of people have a theology of Jesus being Lord, but he's not really Lord, is because he's not Lord of their wallet. You see, if he's not Lord of your wallet, he's not Lord of your heart. Oh, man, now I've quit preaching and gone to meddling. If he's not Lord of your money, he's not Lord of your heart. Because your heart and your money or your resources go together. And if you really love Jesus, guess what? You give. Why do you give? Because you love him. Secondly, it, does, it not only affects my obedience, but it affects my words. My words, my adoration. I was preaching Sunday on worship. And I, I was preaching out of John chapter 12 about the, bro the, the breaking of the alabaster box. And I was talking 
And I just had this insight, this revelation, you know, because we talk a lot about the alabaster box and we talk about, you know, it being broken and, and all of that. But that, that, that's an incredible, incredible story. And it, it, it's so amazing that Jesus actually said that what Mary did, and this was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she had lived a sinful life. She was from, a, she, you know, we, we see the picture of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to her. And we kind of have this image that she was a nice little church girl. She wasn't. She was involved in a lot of sinful activity. In fact, it, it said, it, it, go, go read all four accounts. You'll only get a part of the picture from each account. But Mary was a sinful, she was actually a prostitute. And she had lived this sinful life. And everybody knew she had lived a sinful life. And they're having this gathering in the home of Simon, Simon known as Simon the leper. And another account said he was a Pharisee. Now I want you to understand this, get this picture. So you get this guy named Simon, known as Simon the leper, who was a Pharisee, and he's thrown a party. Obviously, Simon, who had been Simon the Pharisee and became Simon the leper, had gotten healed somewhere along the way because any Pharisee would know you can't associate with anybody if you're a leper. In fact, if you're a leper, you're unclean, you're put out of the city. So by the time he's throwing this party, it says he was throwing a party to honor Jesus, to honor Jesus. And at the party is Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. Now, are you beginning to get the picture for what's going on in this room? Here you got a guy named Simon who had been a leper who had gotten healed. You got a guy that was dead named Lazarus who had been raised from the dead, and he's sitting at the table. And coming up behind, you got this gal named Mary who was a prostitute who had been forgiven and cleaned, and she comes up behind. Are you getting the picture of what that thing looks like? And she's weeping and crying, and she's crying. She's got this alabaster box of perfume that's worth 300 denarii, which is literally like a year's wages. Uh, one denarii a day uh, was average for a person's salary. So, I mean, this is like a forty or $50,000 box of perfume. I mean, this is heavy-duty stuff here. And she comes up behind him, and she, her tears are falling on Jesus' feet, and she's wiping his feet with her hair, and she breaks the box. One, one gospel says that she broke it on, uh, she broke, or poured it out on his head. Another one says she poured it out on his feet. She probably poured it out on his head, and it ran down to his feet. But it was obviously a big, big moment. The fact of the matter is this. Jesus goes on to talk about her expression. Her expression. That her expression was something so profound that it will be told everywhere the gospel is preached. That there'll be no play. I'm telling the story this morning. And it's been told and told and told and told. And you've heard it hundreds of times. And Jesus says, it will be a memorial. Listen to this. It will be a memorial 
to her. You see, worship and our praise or our adoration is the direct result of what we recognize of Jesus. The reason that Mary was so overwhelmed and so free in her expression of Jesus, in her expression of worship, was because what Jesus Christ had done in her life. Here she had lived her life in sin. She had lived her life uh, not carrying out the purposes of God, probably feeling guilty every day of her life. And suddenly, Jesus had come into our life, and Jesus had brought forgiveness, and Jesus had brought cleansing, and Jesus had brought wholeness, and everything. And I'm sure that expensive bottle of perfume has been very useful in her past life. But now she's coming, and she's bringing the very thing that once was such a treasured possession. And that treasured possession was easy to sacrifice on Jesus because she had found something in Jesus that was of far greater worth than anything she had ever known before. You see, when Jesus, listen, you will only worship to the degree that you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, you, you, you can't worship apart from that. I'm sorry that we've made worship, and I've got to move. I've already preached past my time, preached right on through the time. But listen, God has made this Jesus. God has made this Jesus. Who you crucified both Lord and Christ. When we begin to understand who Jesus really is, you see, we try hard to get people to give to God. May I tell you something? Our giving to God is a direct outworking of our revelation of Jesus. When we understand who he is and we understand what he's done, guess what? He eclipses every other passion, every other love. This is what it means to build on an apostolic and prophetic foundation. That we build churches where Jesus is glorified and exalted. And Doug, as we pour into those students in that college, may it be that every one of them are so impacted by the truth of Jesus that they gladly declare the message. We were talking yesterday morning in the staff meeting, a young man named David. David had been in prison, in fact, Reminds me of your story, Nick, in so many ways. He'd been in prison, and God had saved him while he was in prison. And he, he said, I, I spent time there, and I just would be in the Word, be in the Word, be in the Word. He got out of prison, and he began to try to lead outreaches there at the church there in Farmville. And then from there, God's opened up, God opened up a door for him to pastor a church. And then it was a traditional church, and he pastored the church, and it was a church that had nine people, and in literally a matter of a few weeks, it had gone to, what, like 70 with new converts. And the nine people that had voted him in voted him out because they didn't like all the stuff that was going on there at the church. 
So he had to go. He's like, what do I do? And he went down the street and got him a building, and Bill helped him plant another church. Bill's helped him plant. They planted two churches since he's been up there, that aircraft carrier. And, and they're having people get saved. They started Easter Sunday, and they just had a handful. And go, they literally went to another town to plant the church. They just had a handful. And he just lifts up Jesus every week, lifts up Jesus, lifts up Jesus. They had 120 or 130 there Sunday. He said, you got to understand, Pastor, we're running 120, 130 people in a town of 805 people. He says, it's literally, they don't even know what to do with this church now. So many people are coming to the Lord. And he said, the people that are coming to the Lord are the people that have come from very rough, raw backgrounds, bound in drugs. But Jesus, and he said, Jesus is setting them free. And he stands there, tears are in his eyes. He's talking about Jesus. And I will tell you, it reminded me not only of you, Nick, it reminded me of John Tompkins and what's happening up at, at one fire. And I thought to myself, God, may it be that we grab a hold of this and we would declare no other name but the name of Jesus. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's not Lord because I make him Lord. He's Lord because God made him Lord. And I only get the opportunity to recognize it. Father, may we ever live this way. May ever we ever live with a fire burning in our soul and a passion for Jesus. May we be people who love you with everything of, in us, every ounce of our strength. May we ever declare, Lord, your praises. May we be a people who open wide our lips to declare the glory of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this. Stir our hearts and make us, Lord God, better equipped to carry the message of the gospel. Not a raw, dead theology, but a living hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And we thank you and give you praise now for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God thanks.